I'm going to share with you five uh, takeaways from my sabbatical based on stories and encounters that I had along the way. So here we go. So I have a question for you. The very first question I have is, uh, how often do you either say the question, I wish I had, I wish I had, fill in the blank, or you spend time scrolling, looking at stuff, and just like, that would be nice, that would be nice, right? And, and I wonder how much of the time we accumulate stuff. We work so hard so we can get that thing, and we think the thing is going to somehow make our lives complete. Well, if you remember a story that I shared with you, well, let me just actually give you a scripture real quick, and then we'll, we'll, I'll share my story. In Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, as you know, we went through the whole book of Luke um, before I went on sabbatical. In Luke chapter 12, uh, verse 15 says this. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Can you say possessions? So your life does not consist of how much you have. And if there's anything that I realize on sabbatical is I have too much. (laughs) I have a barn. You know what happens with a barn? Barn fills up with stuff and you don't know how it gets there. I moved there to my property probably 12 years ago and I still have stuff that I moved from the other house into the barn that I haven't touched. I have too much stuff. Well, the story goes that, um, remember the story I told you of my neighbor, a little old lady, so sweet in her 80s. She drove up on her side by side right to my front step when I had ruptured my Achilles. She picked me up. We went on a date together. She picked me up on her side by side, took me to her house, and we had hot dogs. She cooked me hot dogs. Well, unfortunately, my beloved neighbor passed away just as I went on sabbatical, and, and I had the privilege of doing her funeral. But the interesting thing, she lived right across the street, is I encountered her kids who were having to pack up her things. Nobody else um, lived at that house. She lived by herself. She has a big um, farm property. And I got thinking, it's like, they work so hard to accumulate and amass so much stuff. And now people are giving away and putting into the garbage and, and getting rid of it. And I, was, I, I know we've all heard the story of like you can't, nobody's seeing a U-Haul follow you to your grave, right? You can't bring it with you. And I started reflecting on this a little bit and, and realizing that why do we work so hard to accumulate so much stuff? the stuff that we've got to manage, the stuff that we've got to look after, the stuff that we've got to just, that clogs our spaces. And God just kind of reminded me that the only thing that you can, if you want the big principle of it, the only thing you can bring with you to heaven are the souls that you've shared Jesus with. That's the only thing. And if that's the only thing that I wonder maybe we should be reassessing the time of how much we spend trying to accumulate stuff that we can't even take to spending the time with the souls that need to be saved to go spend eternity with God. Just a thought, something for you to ponder. Well, in that process, and this is another part of the story, but in that process, 
my neighbor, she had a hot tub in her basement. And um, my family has always been liked hot tubs, but I, I started my first hot tub on finding a free one alongside the road, and I fixed it up and we used it. To the next one, I got a used one, and then I had gotten rid of it a few years ago, and my family's like, but we really like a hot tub. And, you know, in the fall when you're playing sports, there's nothing better than going into hot water, right, when, you, when you're all cold and chilled. And then I remember that, you know, it's like, I don't want more stuff, and I don't want to be spending money on, on this. And, and then there, I remember this scripture, Psalm 37, verse 4, Psalm 37, verse 4 says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now I think we like, we all can quote the desires of your heart. God will give you the desires of your heart, but I think what we need to realize that first part of the scripture is we have to first delight in the Lord because if we delight in him first, then our heart will be aligned to what we desire. Delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. So God's not opposed to stuff. And I'm going to get to stuff here in a minute. But I think he's opposed to the covetousness. He's opposed to the things that, gar- that grab our hearts, that take us away from his purposes. So I just mentioned to uh, one of the siblings of, uh, of my neighbor who's passed away. I said, well, if you're ever interested in selling this hot tub, let me know. And person came back to me a little bit later and, and said, actually, you know, for you doing the funeral, can we just give you the hot tub? I said, can you give me the hot tub? Of course you can. Of course you can. <laughs> but I looked at that as a gift from the Lord. And God knew that I didn't want to go chasing, making a bunch of money to go buy a hot tub. They're very expensive, by the way. And, and, but God knew that this, like he's so practical, he knew that would bring joy to my family, and he gave us a gift, right? So there's, there's nothing wrong with stuff, but if we crowd our lives with stuff that we're managing, or if we're getting stuff under the wrong desires of our heart, see, the desires of our heart come from first delighting in the Lord. Spend time with him, delight in him. But I also believe that when he gives you the good gift, we delight in him too and say, God, you're awesome. You just provided that for me. So in James chapter one, along those lines as well, James chapter one, verse 17, says this. Every good gift And every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In other words, God is stable, he's steady, he's not like a shadow that shifts with the setting sun, or he's constant, he's steady. And he's saying every good gift comes from God. So as you look at your possessions, as you begin to start saying, how do I not be covetous? in like desiring more and more and more because our culture, our, the media and advertisers want you to have more and they will do everything to make you think that you're less than and you're not accomplishing and you're not achieving if you don't have more buying their product. But God is saying, look at what you have and then when you do have it, you receive 
this good gift that comes from above and that keeps our hearts in a good place. So look at what you have and the practical applications. Look at what you have today. Go home, look at what you have, your car, your house, your furniture. Look at what you have and say, thank you, God, for what I have. Don't look at what you don't have. Look at what you have and say, thank you, God, because every good and perfect gift comes from God. Okay, so that was my first principle. My second thing that I kind of realized is realizing that stuff is important. God's just not saying, now go live in the middle of the woods in a tent. He's not saying that, but stuff is important, but how are we treating the stuff that God has given us? How are we treating the stuff that God has given us? So one of the projects I did while I was on sabbatical was to uh, replace a bunch of rotten wood on my house. I live in a 1790s farmhouse, and uh, the very interesting story, in my barn, the very first church service that took place in the town of Gilmington, supposedly from Isaac Smith, Reverend Isaac Smith took place in my barn. I think that's kind of cool. And, um, and so I live in this 1790s farmhouse, but it is wood, so wood rots over time. Well, over the last couple of years, I've been so busy, I haven't really been attentive to the rot, but what I do is I just put another coat of paint over the rot. In Luke chapter 16, verse 10, it says, one who is faithful with a little is also faithful with much. How does that relate to fixing rotten wood? I think sometimes that we can, when it relates to our stuff, if we don't have time to look after our stuff, chances are we have too much stuff. And if we don't have time to look after our stuff, do you think God will continue to give you more stuff that will be a blessing for you? Like, we can accumulate a lot of stuff, and it's not necessarily from God. We can just say we want it, we get it. But if you want your stuff to be a blessing for you, you need to have capacity to look after it. But that's like our own soul, though. That's really like our own spirit. Sometimes we can, like, put a whitewash on our own life. We can cover ourselves with a pretty coat of paint, right? We can look good on the outside, but are we having time to look after the things that are on the inside? See, my house looked pretty nice and white. Nobody would know those rotten spots. I knew the rotten spots. The challenge though was when I fixed it, I realized the rot was going deeper because I wasn't looking after it. So I had the privilege. I mean, it was a good feeling to take care of a lot of that um, deferred maintenance. But the spiritual principle of it is if you don't have time to look after your own life, your own spiritual life, how much time are you spending with the Lord? Do you have a devotional life? Are you getting up and reading your Bible in the morning? Are you spending time praying? Because you can go to church and you can be around your Christian friends and you can put the whitewash on and realize that there's still some darkness inside of you that is only getting darker because we're not taking the time to be attentive to the things that really need to be taken, attentive, uh, take, taken attention to. It reminds me of the parable of the talents, right? God has given talents or money to three different individual servants and, and one buries it and the other one invests it and the other one invests it. And God says, the one who I have that buried it, he says, I'm taking that away and giving it to the one who produced something of it. 
God wants us to be faithful with what he gives us. That's in our stuff. It's also in our spiritual lives. I also wonder, you know, when the Lord says, the qualifications for elders in the church are those who can manage their own family well. Because after all, if you can't even manage your own family, how is God going to give you a bigger spiritual family to manage? Now, I have to say, my kids aren't perfect. (laughs) I'm not a perfect parent. Neither are yours but the idea is that God wants us to be faithful and steward the things that he's given. So I had a chance to start cleaning up my barn, start to clean out my barn of all the extra stuff. I had the chance to, I'll tell you what, we live in a throwaway society. My microwave stopped working. Now, not everybody can do this, I know, but YouTube can be your great friend in learning how to do things. So my microwave stopped working and I, I like, I was kind of busy at the time. You think I'm on sabbatical. I should have all kinds of time. I was busy. And, and I was like, I got to go get a new microwave. And all of a sudden, wait, slow down. Let's really find out what it was. It turned out it was a little switch on the door that was a $6 part that came. The part showed up at my door two days later, and my microwave now works. But it takes time. And I just want to encourage you, this world wants to go very fast. One of the gifts that you gave me was a sabbatical which slowed my world down and realized that I don't want to speed my world back up a whole lot because we miss things. We're not attentive to those small things in our life if we're not careful. So be careful to steward your life, your spirit, but also look after the things that God has given you. He's not going to give you more things if you can't look after the things he's already given you. Most importantly, though, the inner man, if you want to do a good study on, on what, how God wants you to treat your inner man or inner person, I should say, go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. He wants us to triumph over our flesh. He wants us to build up our spiritual life. And uh, that's going to be, that'll be a personal study for you. All right. So here we go. Third, third thing that I learned on my sabbatical. I was going to start with a question, though. How often do you think about others? It's a question. How often do you think about somebody else? What their needs are? How they're feeling? What their story is? What's going on in their day? Or is your life consumed with you, 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 you? Again, our culture has made it very me-centric, very individualism, uh, individualistic. And, and if we're not careful, that plays into our life and it plays into the way that God wants us to live our life in a life of service of others. Jesus himself said he didn't come to be served. He was the king of kings. And you'd think in our, in our world of, you know, we don't have kings, but presidents, you know, you'd think that you come to serve those people. And the reality, Jesus says, no, 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 no. I didn't, I have all authority in heaven and earth. And yet I didn't come to be served. I came to serve, which means you have to be attentive to the people around you. So, um, well, let me just share a scripture with you and then we'll move into my story. In second Corinthians nine, second Corinthians nine, says this, six through seven. 
says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, how does that relate to serving? How does that relate? Well, it relates to giving. Now, I believe he's talking about money here, but it's, he's always going after a heart condition. God loves a cheerful giver. We know that his, his, God's means of funding the kingdom activity is tithing to your local church, 10%. That's biblical. Jesus talks about it in New Testament. That's just not Old Testament. But he also calls us to give of our time to serve one another. So my story goes, um, and I'm going to go back to the cheerful giver here in a second. I had, uh, unfortunately, when I first started my sabbatical, I was like, oh, all these years, I've been so busy, I haven't got these projects done, so I had my list of projects. Um, it was a long list, and I was, I was aggressive, I was going after it, but after week four, week five, I felt exhausted. <laughs> I was like, that's not the point. The gift that the church gave me was to feel refreshed, reconnect with the Lord, and come back energized and passionate for the things that God has called um, me and helped to serve this church. And so I had to peel back that uh, do, do, do list. And it wasn't a honeydew list, it was a mark do list. <laughs> And I was trying to get the stuff done. But one of the things was I had, uh, I live also near some conservation land. There's a barn on it and they were doing a bunch of work on the barn and the yard. And somebody came over to my house and said, hey, we're cleaning up a bunch of brush. Do you have a place close by that we can dump our brush and you can use it as a brush burn pile? And I was like, well, I don't really have a place that trucks and trailers can go and dump it, but I do have a burn pile that I could do, but I was in the middle of getting ready to take down some trees myself with a chainsaw, and I was already starting to create brush. And I said, no, 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 I don't have a place for it. And and I just felt like at that moment, I had my list. I already kind of said, no, I can't do it. I said, like, but but could I help? But could I? And I stopped what I was doing, and I jumped on my tractor, and I put forks on my tractor, and I went down to where they were working. I said, why don't you load the brush on my forks, and I can take it back into the woods to my burn pile. I spent you know, probably three hours serving them. But can I tell you what, even though I had my agenda, I had my plan for the day, what I felt at the end of that was great joy. See, I think... Um, I think when Jesus talks about, or I should say Paul when he, in his writing, Paul was taught by Jesus, but in his writing, by the way, Paul never encountered Jesus face to face, maybe on the road to Damascus, but he wasn't one of his disciples. But he was instructed by the Lord. But I wonder why he says he loves a cheerful giver. And I wonder if the interpretation, or I should say the translation of that was, was like when you speak Spanish. You know how you, when you speak Spanish, you, you, you change your words, your order of your words? Like black cat would be gato negro. Is that right, actually? Was I right? In, okay. Um, I don't know how I came up with that. I should have found something a little bit more cheery than a black cat, but um, gato negro. Sorry, you switch the words. I say black cat in English, but in Spanish you say cat black. And I wonder, actually, in the scripture, if the translation was give and you will find some cheer in your heart. 
Give and you'll find joy. Cheerful giver. It's not like, hey, I want to be cheerful and then I give. It's kind of like when you give, joy comes to you. Joy comes to you. And, and, I, and I wonder, so many times I've said no, no, no. Because I feel overwhelmed with all the different activities I have. Right? And I, and I think I need to start saying yes more often. As I can. Right? There's limits in your life. Don't, don't overcommit yourself. But I think... But I think finding ways, and it starts by being attentive to somebody else's needs. You have to be aware of, of people around you. A simple hello, a simple smile, it doesn't have to take a ton of time. Uh, a card of just saying, I'm thinking of you today. Um, a simple thing that helps people realize that you've come to serve somebody else, not serve yourself. I think Jesus puts that inside of us, and he says, and let me just tell you another little um, insight of there. When you make a deposit to your, by the way, if you've never made a deposit to your bank account, can you make a withdrawal? If you've never made a deposit into your bank account, can you withdraw anything from it? The, question, the answer is no, there's nothing there. I've realized, so I serve as a selectman for my town um, and I try to get involved in community things and it's intentional. Because I don't believe that somebody, you can ask something of somebody if you haven't first poured into their life. And if I really care about this message of Jesus Christ and this gospel, and if I were to ever ask them something about that of, hey, uh, can, can you, do you want to listen to my story? Or would you ever be interested in having spiritual conversations with me? Have you ever thought about life after death? That, that's, I'm asking something from somebody, but if I haven't made deposits in their life first, it's very hard for me to receive um, something back. I would encourage you in life, find ways to make deposits in as many people's lives as you can. Make a deposit through a simple smile. Make a deposit of bringing somebody some extra lunch. Make a deposit at work. Make a deposit of a nice thank you note or, or a, a thinking of you note. Make deposits, make deposits, because at some point in time, if you want something in return and you want something that's a spiritual return, I think you have to make sometimes very practical deposits first. You guys understand that concept? Okay. All right. So that was my story. Think about others more, okay? That's, that is, but that might mean that you've got to back off. If you find you're running at a high pace in life, maybe you've got to say no to some things to create margin. That was my issue. I didn't have a lot of margin. I'm very structured and I have a lot on my calendar, but I didn't have margin and I've realized that was something that I needed to change. All right, next question I have for you. We're almost, we're almost there. Oh, Okay, yeah, I got to wrap this baby up. Here we go. So who taught you how to swim? Or I should say, how did you learn to swim? How did you learn to swim? Most likely, you just didn't decide one day you're going to go to the water and start flailing your arms. Chances are you probably would have drowned if, that, if you did that. No, somebody said, come with me. Today's the day we're going to learn how to swim over maybe a couple days and somebody's with you, holding you. I remember I learned to swim, and Jabish Brook, it was a brook, it wasn't a big body of water, there was a deep enough area that I can flail my, <laughs> my hands, and Jabish Brook in, in western Massachusetts, I learned to swim. 
uh, at my grandmother's place. And um, why that story is important, though, is like, or thinking about how you learn to swim is because somebody had to share with you, somebody who knows how to swim, had to share with you, this is how you do it. Matthew 28, we all know the Great Commission, go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach people everything that I have commanded them. Teach them everything that I've commanded them. For those of you who know something about Jesus's kingdom, that is our calling and commissioning to go share that with somebody else. You know something that somebody else doesn't know. There are a lot of people out there today who would long to know how it is that you can be connected to a God that loves them, who can forgive them of their sins. They don't have to walk around with guilt and shame. People would love to hear that message. And yet, we're very quiet, we're very shy, we feel like they don't wanna hear it. But I'll tell you what, I, I have two neighbors. A neighbor, John, and one actually rents the property of, of my deceased neighbor, um, Bruce, and one of them has taught me how to weld. And I went to them as like, I, I would like to know how to weld, can you help me weld? And one was a very good welder and he helped me learn how to weld. The other one was a great mechanic. I mean, as you, if you're a farmer and you're on equipment, you have to know how to do everything on that. And so I've learned a lot of my mechanical skills from, from this guy named Bruce. And, and, and I go to them and I say, can you teach me that? Can you show me that? But they also have indicated that, hey, if you ever want to learn how to do that, I'm available. So I believe that God has put in us as a calling and a commissioning to teach people to know about Jesus. And, and I would just say this, I, it's very practical, right? Because I think sometimes we get really embarrassed by like talking about spiritual things or talking about God or talking about Jesus. But what if you just said to somebody, it's like, hey, if you ever wanted, like what you know, right? If you ever want to know what it means to be assured of your salvation, just come talk to me. And you leave it at that. If they never want to, that's fine. But you know what? If you ask enough people if they want to know something, there's gonna be people who are gonna like, I wanna know that, can you teach me? And all of our job is, is just to teach what we know. I think you should be in a mentoring relationship, doesn't matter how long you've been with the Lord, um, but I also think that we should be pouring into other people. But it's not like, hey, come to this class. It's really just like, as you're doing life, you get to ask some questions of like, hey, would you ever wanna know what it means to know Jesus? Know a God who loves you, right? So I know for me, I wanted to learn a bunch of things. I think people want to learn about spiritual things. They want to learn about the kingdom of God. They want to learn how do I live this way, call this into this kingdom God, which is, which is mysterious and clear at the same time. Like we're living in a different kingdom. We're living for a different king, Jesus. And we're living in a kingdom called the kingdom of God. And how do you do that? And Jesus is saying, we do that by teaching people who have found Jesus. And here we go, wrapping it all up with this. So in Matthew chapter seven, it talks about those who um, have been 
building their life on the rock. Jesus tells a story of, of those who've built their life on the rock and those who build their life on shifting sand. That when the storms of life come, you, you kind of lose your footing. But if your life is built on the rock, then you have sure footing. As you know, I shared with you last week, we, we got a diagnosis with Audra that she uh, has breast cancer and she had surgery. They didn't quite get it all. They'll have to go in for surgery again this week, but not to give you too much of our personal life, but, but people were like, man, you just got the big C word in your life. How are, how are you guys doing? And, and you know what? We're trusting the Lord. We're trusting the Lord because our lives have been built on the rock of Jesus Christ. And yes, is it not good news? We didn't want that news. But the interesting thing is that God doesn't change. He studies so many times. Have you heard people say this? How could there be a loving God if he allowed X, Y, Z, a child to get hit by a car or somebody to die really young because of a disease or some tragedy, right? If there's a loving God, how could this happen? And I would say, there is a loving God and we live in a fallen world. And God promises that he'll never leave us or forsake us. And he's right there with us every step of the way. And he says, don't love your life as, as unto death, meaning that we're not living just for this life, we're living for a much more glorious life. Our eternal life in the presence of Jesus and our Father in heaven. So I want to encourage you, you know, that even though life doesn't promise you good always, but what we are promised is that God does Make everything good for those who love them. Romans 8, 28. God makes, makes all of our situations. He brings good out of any situation that is bad because that's who he is. He's good. Our world is fallen. Our world is broken. Accidents happen. And in the midst of all of that, we have a faithful God a faithful father in heaven who loves us so much that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Hallelujah. Lessons from my sabbatical. Very practical. Think of other people more than you, maybe you're thinking of them. Find some time. Don't let your possessions possess you. Steward the stuff that God has given you, but most importantly, steward your, your soul. Steward your spirit. Don't whitewash yourself. Don't just put a coat of paint on it when there's rot on the inside. Be willing to expose it and clean it up and fix it through the power and the graciousness of the Holy Spirit. And build your life on the rock because the storms, most likely you will face a storm in life and you don't want to get shipwrecked. You want to be on the rock, confident in the assurance of who God is, your father, who loves you, who cares for you, who has good things in store for you. 
Welcome to Church Online. My name is Pastor Mark and I just want to say thank you for taking the time to join us in watching our services online. Maybe you can't be at our location today and you're watching this from home or on the road. We just want to say thank you for tuning in. And maybe you can't get to a physical location at Grace Capital Church and this becomes part of your regular routine to do church live on your computer or on your device. We want to say Invite some friends with you. Do church together. Life is so much better together and discovering what God has for us is meant to be done in community. Gather people together and enjoy these services for weeks to come. Thank you for watching. Music